0: Then I got married at, I got married at 20 years old and I always dreamed about bringing my wife on a honeymoon to Europe, but I didn't have the money. So we went to Epcot (laughs) and, uh, and it was great because we went to all the countries in Epcot and I felt like I was in Italy and all these different places. And, uh, and then, you know, going with my kids, it was great, but there's nothing like going to Disney World with. With, uh, with your with your daughter with your granddaughter, it's nothing like it. I mean, just amazing, right? And uh, I, I guess the reason why I love going with my granddaughter and uh, was because you know we can see her having a great time. She's she's two years old. She's not going to remember anything, but I'm going to remember it all. And it was the best ride of all is to watch her face, you know, and to see how Ellie was smiling and having a great time. And also, when you're a grandparent, oh yeah, this is a great picture. But when you're a grandparent, right? It's, it's great because you can go on all the rides with them, and you could smile with them, and then when you smell something, you just hand them back over to, to mommy and daddy, you know? Uh, but it, it was a really fun time being at Disney World, and I got to meet the man. I got to meet Mickey. Come on, somebody. I mean, it don't get better than meeting Mickey and Minnie. I had to repent, and I had to tell my wife, I, I'm, I'm just confessing to you, honey, that I have a crush on Minnie, you know? Uh But but we had a great time. And and, you know, the truth is, as a pastor, I try really hard to unplug. I do. And my family is always encouraging me. It's time to unplug, you know, just be with your family. Don't think of anything else. But I'm a pastor. And so as a pastor, everywhere I go, everything I see, I turn it into a sermon, you know. I'm like, yeah, I can use that. I can use that. I can use that. So, you know, I'm walking through Disney World, and we went to Hollywood Studios, and, and uh, you know, they have this whole big Star Wars theme, and I'm thinking to myself, hmm, Scar Wars, a series on dealing with the scars in your life. Then I thought about Beauty and the Beast, and I thought, wow, that's a great, great, great opening for a marriage series. So I'm gonna call it Beauty and the Best, how to have a great marriage and turn your man who's a beast into the best. Come on, somebody. So, so, so that's actually what I'm gonna be talking about next week is turning your beast into the best. Come on, somebody. So you need to bring your husband out for that one, right? And uh, now, you know, there's a movie out now that's really big and that movie is Frozen. Now, I have to be honest with you. I wasn't really interested in a movie about two sisters, an animated kind of cartoonish movie about two sisters. So I had no intentions of watching Frozen. But then I realized I'm a grandpapa, right? And so Ellie loves the movie Frozen. So she's watched it a million times. And so now Ellie actually comes over to my house and uh, I'm watching her, and so she's got her on her little iPad Frozen. I'm thinking to myself, oh well, let's, you know, let's make this interesting, you know. So I put it on a bigger screen and I got my bowl of popcorn. It was a nice big bowl, and I got her a little bowl of popcorn. And I sat her on my lap and I thought, okay, I'm gonna keep her busy for a little while watching Frozen, because she knows everything. You know, she's even like I'm even teaching her, you know, how to sing now, and so now, so I'm like, Ellie, Ellie, what's the song? Daddy yeah. It's the greatest thing. I mean, I was walking around the house last night. My daughter Jenna was like, Dad, please, no more, because I kept on giving Ellie more things to say. Ellie, say, let it go, let it go. She goes, let it go, let it go. It's it's the greatest thing in the whole world, right? So here's what happens, though. She's watching the movie. You know, it's kind of, we're hanging out, having a good time, eating popcorn, and she gets distracted. She jumps off the couch, and she starts playing. I'm like, Ellie, please, do me a favor. Sit down. I got to watch the end of this movie. (laughs) because I really got into the movie, right? And I got to see the ending of the movie. Now I know everything about Frozen. And so now I go to Disney World and I'm thinking, hmm, there's a word in this. Um, There's a message in this movie. And you know, Walt Disney was an amazing, amazing leader. You know, you talk about vision. You talk about one man's vision. I mean, this guy was brilliant. And I thought to myself, God, if I could just have a little bit of the vision that this man had and use it for the kingdom of God. My goodness, what could we do with vision? What could one person do with the vision that God places in their heart? Because here, the truth of the matter is is that God wants every one of us to live on mission. God wants every one of us to see ourselves as spirit-filled believers doing the work of God in their life, doing what God wants them to do. So now, I want to know how many of you in this room, be honest now. Don't be embarrassed. Be proud. How many of you have watched the movie Frozen? Let me see your hands. Oh, awesome. How many of you have not seen the movie Frozen? Raise your hands. You need to get a life. You need, you, 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 you need to get a life. George, have you seen the movie Frozen? Dude, you've seen it. There he is. That's, I, I'm telling you. This, all right, so George, you've seen the movie, the whole thing, right? seen it all the way through. Okay, good. All right, so here's what I'm looking for, all right? I'm going to give away a t-shirt. So I need two contestants who want to, I want to see if you really know the movie Frozen. So I want to raise your hand. I need two contestants. All right. All right. So yeah, I'll, I'll take, I'll take this guy right here. I'll take this guy. Hey, and I'll take this young lady right here. Isn't it good to sit in the front row at church? Come on. Come on, and you thought you were never going to get rewarded. I said, "Come on, come on up here, come on up here." All right, all right. So, so somebody's going to get this T-shirt. All right. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you questions, and when you know the answer to this question, raise your hand and give me the give me the answer. All right. So what's your name? Clyde. Clyde. Give it up for Clyde. Everybody, give it up for Clyde. All right. And what's your name, sweetie? Celeste. 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 Give it up for Celeste. All right. Whoa. All right. Celeste. Who's your Favorite character in Frozen? Elsa. Elsa is her. Who's your favorite character? Olaf. Anna. You, you don't know? Did you ever watch? That? No, I said Jesus I I said Anna. Who? Anna. Who? Anna. Oh, Anna. Got it. Okay, okay, got it. Okay. Why is she your favorite character? Do you have a crush on her? No. You sure? All right. It's okay if you do. All right, I like Minnie. <laughs> All right, are you ready? The movie takes place in the fictional kingdom of Arunel, where two princesses, Elsa and Anna, live. At the beginning, the two are seen in a moonlight bedroom as Anna tries to wake up her sister to play. What does Anna say that eventually gets Elsa out of bed? What? Did you say what? Do you want to play? Uh, okay, what did you say? Do you want to build a snowman? Is that the answer? You almost got it. You almost got it. You almost got it. Okay, go okay. All right. All right. While creating a winter wonderland... George, did you know the answer to that one? No, okay. It's a good thing I didn't call you up yet. While creating a winter wonderland in the castle's ballroom, Elsa accidentally shoots Anna with her magic which causes her to fall unconscious. After Elsa wakes her parents, where do they take Anna? To like, like, like trolls? Troll. All right, all right, okay, so, so he's kind of like, he's cool. This guy is cool. He's gonna figure it out as he gets there. He's like, they, they a, like, they take her like, they take her like, until somebody starts saying the trolls, you know? <laughs> all right, I give you a point and you get a half a point for just being cool. All right, all right, you ready? All right, number three. So it's, it's two to a half, you got it? Two and a half. Two and a half. yeah, men, yeah. After arguing with Anna and revealing her powers to everyone, now raise your hand. When you have the answer, raise your hand. The first one to raise the hand, I'll, I'll answer, okay, ready? No, not now, put your hand down. You are gonna be a pastor one day. After arguing with Anna and revealing her powers to everyone, Elsa runs away into the mountains. What song does she sing as she creates a palace? Let it, go. Let it go, is that right? All right, now, dude, she's fast. All right, I'll give you a point if you could sing it. Let it go. Come. No, there ain't nothing up there, dude. You either know it or you don't know it. This is not like worship service where you get that on the screen. so how does it go wait do I really have to sing it well just just like the key line you know the key line let it go (laughs) you guys are a tough crowd you know that right now all right all right three to half all right there we go all right let's do the last one okay all right this is gonna be a hard one okay Anna on her way to find her sister has met Kristoff. Who's Kristoff? The snowman. The snowman. Oh, my goodness. You need to go back and watch the movie. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. You ready? And her reindeer. What's the reindeer's name? Sven. Who agreed to help her get to the North Mountain where Elsa is. On their way... They meet a snowman that Elsa has created and brought to life. What is the snowman's name? Oh, he got it. 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 All right. So we have, we have three and a half against one and a half. All right. So we're going we're to give you one more. And this is double jeopardy. All right. You ready? Ready? You ready? All right, here we go. One more, one more. Anna finally gets to Elsa and asks her to come back to Arendelle to fix what she did. But Elsa, not knowing how to change it back, gets upset and accidentally strikes Anna with her powers again. What does she strike this time? Heart. Oh, what? All right, I'll give you that. Look, look, look at this dude, look at this dude, look at this dude. Check him out, man? he's like, like her, uh, like, uh, like, like, yeah, get, getting hotter, getting hotter now, getting hotter now, all right. You win, you win, you win, I'm, I'm fine, gonna I'm fine. i I love you, man, I love you, man. I'm gonna take you out to McDonald's. Give her a big hand, give her a big hand. All right, dude, that was good, you, I like him. If he's not going to be a pastor one day, he's going to be a lawyer. I'm telling you, or a car salesman, a car salesman. So now now you might think, what in the world does this have to do with my spiritual walk? What in the world does this have to do with my spiritual journey? I have no idea. I just want to be back at Disney. No, I'm just kidding. But if you really look at the movie, you'll find that number one, Elsa has a gift now, Again, it's magic and it's, you know, and all of this stuff. But the truth of the matter is, is God gives us gifts. He gives everyone a gift. But Elsa doesn't know how to use her gift. She misuses it and she makes a mistake. And her parents are really worried about Elsa, that she's going to hurt somebody. So they lock her away and isolate her. Now, Elsa has all of this potential And she's got all of this giftedness inside of her, but she's locked away and her heart becomes frozen. And I want to tell you today that the sad thing is, is that there are a lot of Christians, their hearts are frozen. And they're not obeying what God has called them to do. I call them the chosen frozen. (laughs) Because, you know, we can come to church week after week after week and hear sermon after sermon after sermon. And and yet, we are not being obedient to fulfilling the mission and call that God has for our life. You see, we've all been called. We all have a mission. We've all been called by God to be ministers, servants of God. We've all been called to be the light to the world. We've all been called. We've all been filled with the spirit of the living God. And that should set our hearts on fire. See, God wants us to be on fire for him. You know, John Wesley said, Set yourself on fire and let other people watch you burn. And as Christians, we should have a heart that is set on fire with passion. That we should get up in the morning and we should believe that God has placed us where we work, that God has placed us where we are educated. That God has placed us in families, that God has placed us in people's lives so that we could actually touch their life and unfreeze their heart that has been frozen by fear and insecurity, by pain and hurt, by all the things that this world has to offer them. We have the answer. We can thaw their hearts out as the word of God tells us that we are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. One act of kindness, one act of kindness can change a, a person's life. I believe that with all my heart. Let me tell you two stories of two people that have listened and obeyed the will of God in their life because you see, we get frozen and we become disobedient to the call of God and it paralyzes us and keeps us from doing the very thing that God has called all of us to do and that's to be servants of the Most High God. But I want to tell you two stories of two men who are, who are doing incredible things. The first story is a story that you saw on on tv just this past week when the president of the united states was giving the state of the union address and he pointed out a police officer who's a christian and this police officer got up in the morning and he must have prayed and he must have said to the lord lord use me wherever i am today use me to touch somebody's life Use me to speak into somebody's life. How do we know that that, that happened? Because he was intentional about living his life on that day. And he, and, he, and he came across this young lady who was just about to shoot herself up with heroin. And he noticed that this young lady was pregnant. And she didn't know exactly how pregnant she was. But she probably was about five or six months pregnant. And he noticed that and he was able to talk her out of having an abortion Why? Because he promised this woman that when she gave birth to the child that he himself and his wife would adopt that little baby. And I think to myself, here's a man who changed the life of this one child. Can you imagine this child could have been aborted? Can you imagine this child could have ended up in the wrong family and her life or his life would have been changed forever? But because this man was living on mission, because this man woke up in the morning and believed that as a police officer, God has called him to reach out to people and love people. And friends, I want you to know, maybe you're a teacher, or maybe you're a doctor or maybe you're a lawyer or maybe you're in some other kind of profession. But if you get up in the morning and you believe this is the profession that God wants me to be in and maybe you're in that profession and you feel like, well, I don't know if I really want to be here. Listen, you need to love the people that you're with right now and you need to obey God right now and you need to realize if God has put you in that place, the steps of the righteous man are ordered by God that God wants to use you right where you are. I remember when, when I was a young man, I had gotten married and i need i just needed a job and so i i i, I became a, a painter in the painters union and i hated it i didn't want to paint i wanted to preach i didn't want to paint i wanted to be a pastor but that was the place that god placed me and you know what i had to be faithful where god place me, because God would never call me into the full-time ministry and be a pastor until I could recognize that when I got up in the morning and I went uptown to, to that place where I was working, that I was, at that moment, I was the preacher. At that moment, I was the pastor. At that moment, I was the missionary. At that moment, I was the light. I was the witness. And I needed to touch people where I worked. And you know what? I poured myself into that where I was. Why? Because there was someone who needed to see the love of God. One act of kindness can thaw the heart of somebody and change their lives. I remember when I was in college and man, did I want to be in the ministry. That's all I thought about is being in the ministry. But I was in a secular college. I was at Nassau Community College. And I remember, man, I want to be in the ministry. I want to go to Bible college, but it wasn't the time for that. And God said, you know what? Today, right now is the time. It's the day of salvation. You need to start sharing your faith wherever you are. And I started sharing my faith with young people. And today there are people that heard the gospel because I was obedient to the call of God. Let me tell you another story about another man. He comes to our church, his name is Sam Johnson. Sam Johnson is from India, originally. And Sam Johnson went to visit India, and he noticed that there were people in India that didn't have any legs. One missing, two missing. And in India, like a lot of other parts of the world, when, when you're missing limbs, it, you know, you're kind of like, you know, you're not gonna go very far. And many of them are beggars, and many of them, they're kinda, their lives are over because they just, they have no future. And so Sam Johnson believed as a businessman, not as a pastor, but as a marketplace minister, being called to do what he could do with the resources that God placed in his hands. God has given all of us in this room time, he's given us talents, and he's given us treasures. And what we do with those things are going to determine the outcome of other people's lives. And so Sam, on his visit to India, he noticed that there were people that didn't have limbs and so God put it in his heart, a dream. Can you imagine if Sam Johnson said, no, I'm afraid to do this. I don't want to do this. I, I just, I just, I don't know if I can do this. It's, it's too big. Can you imagine the people today that would not have a chance at walking and being what God has called them to be? And so Sam started an organization called Life and Limbs. Marketplace, man. Didn't know how he was going to do it, but the first year God put it on his heart to provide eight limbs for eight individuals and he went to India the first year and he provided eight limbs for eight individuals changed their entire lives well he's done it for four years and over the four years he's provided limbs for 110 people come on somebody say amen and it's cost thousands it's cost thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for every person that he's provided a limb for. Listen to me. It's over 1500 to $2000. You do the math. Over 150 to $200,000 he's had to raise, but he's believed God. And this morning with a heart filled with compassion and joy, I saw him before the service and he and he showed me pictures of people walking for the first time they're walking again. They can get a job for the first time. They don't have to beg for the first time they can and he's changing people's lives. But what would it have been like if he was frozen in fear? I can't Raise the money. Nobody's going to support this. Nobody's going to help me with this. But man, he launched out in faith and now he's making a difference in his world. God wants you to make a difference in your world. But what are the two things that keep us frozen? You know, the Bible's filled with people that froze. The rich, rich young man, he froze. When his moment, when his opportunity came to obey the Lord, he froze and he didn't obey the Lord. I wonder how many people who were following Jesus, could have been Jesus' disciples, but they froze out of fear. And so there are people in the Bible that froze out of fear. Others froze out of insecurity. Others froze out of guilt and condemnation. Peter almost froze. It almost took him out of ministry. When he failed Jesus, when he denied Jesus, the Bible says that one act of love, Jesus comes and reaches back to Peter, and he thaws his heart, and he goes back into ministry again. But I, I see two things that are the, the biggest culprit, the biggest giants when it comes to keep us from moving into our destiny, into the thing that God called us to do, and that's fear and insecurity, fear and insecurity. And in the Bible, we find a story in 1 first, in, in first Samuel chapter 17. If you wanna turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse one, we find a story in the Bible of people that is, should have known better. And I, I understand, you know, if I was in their shoes, I don't know what I would have done. But we find a story about people that, are, that should have known better. They should have been reminded of who they were. They should have understood the promises of God and they should have gone forward. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Sokot, which belonged to Judah, and they encamped between Sokot and Azorah. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Eli and draw up. In a battle array against the Philistines and the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side uh, with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gad, whose height was six cubits and a span. This dude was big. And every one of us in this place is gonna face a giant in our life. How many of you have had to face a giant in your life? Let me see your hands. Yeah. Uh, maybe a giant, giant financial situation or a giant, uh, a giant uh, uh, physical situation in your life. Whatever it may be, all of us at one time or another in our life, we're gonna face a giant situation in our life. And notice what the Bible says. And Goliath, he screamed out at the people of God. And he said, I defy you and I defy the armies of the living God. Send me down a man who will fight against me. And if he wins, we will serve you. If I win, you will serve us. And notice what happens. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says when Saul, verse eight, When Saul, verse 11, when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistines, notice what happens. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Notice the two words, dismayed and greatly afraid. They were frozen in their dismay and their fear. The word dismay actually means disheartened. It means demoralized. It means downcast. It means intimidated. It means depressed and distraught. They were intimidated. How many of you have ever been intimidated by the size of your giant in your life? I don't know about you, but I have. Now every once in a while, I get intimidated by the things that I'm facing in my life as a pastor. I, I, I want to be honest with you. You know, I, I think about the building expansion program, $10 million. That intimidates me. And the enemy screams back and says, how in the world are you going to raise that kind of money? How in the world? And people are going to laugh at you if you don't make it happen, you know, but that's not my problem. The battle doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the Lord. And I've got to remind myself. Sometimes I get, I get, I get dismayed or I get afraid or I get intimidated when I say, you know what? I'm believing God. I'm believing God for great things through hope day. And man, God has done some incredible things through hope day. And I think if I would have allowed fear to grip my heart, no, there's no way in the world. There's no churches that are going to join you. There's no other churches that are going to buy into this vision. Where would we be seven years ago? We started with one Group of people, one church, and today we can look back after seven years and we've been able to minister to 57,000 people. 57,000 people have seen the love of Jesus. Many of them have come to know Jesus as their Savior. And sometimes I got to be frank with you, it's intimidating. And I think to myself, as the enemy shouts in my face, you're going to look like a fool when you fail. You're going to look like a fool when things don't work out. See, the enemy's always shouting in your face and he's always defiing. Uh, you and he's defying the living God and he's telling you, you can't do it. You see, th- those are the lies and the deceptions of the enemy. And the Bible says we are to put on the full armor of God so that we might be able to stand against the lies and schemes of the enemy. And man, he's going to scream in your face and he's going to tell you, you can't do it. And he's going to scream in your face and he's going to say, you're going to be a failure if you try. And if you give into that fear, if you give into the words and the voice of the enemy, then it will freeze your heart and you will become disobedient to the call of God in your life they became dismayed intimidated downcast and depressed because that's what happens when you give into fear you're overwhelmed with depression it was disheartening to them it demoralized them and the truth is once your confidence is gone once your faith is gone Once your boldness is depleted, the enemy of your soul can back your heart into a corner of depression and despair. Elijah was a great man of God, and he did great things for God, but he heard one bad report, and he ran into the desert, and he got so depressed that he wanted to die. But why did the Israelites give in to fear? I, I suppose there are three reasons why the Israelites gave into fear. Number one, the first reason, they're standing on the mountain. They're frozen. The enemy comes out and screams in their face, and they're just frozen. And now you see this young man, he's unfrozen. His name is David, and he runs to the line, and he said, Who is this, who is this giant, this, this enemy of Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He was unfrozen. And everyone else was frozen, the frozen chosen. You know, people who just come to church one week after week after week and they come and they, we do this hurrah thing and we get together. God is a great God, he's a mighty God, he can do everything and then we just go back to work and we don't live on mission. Friend, if you're not living on mission, you're out of the will of God on your life. What does it mean to live on mission? It means that you just let God use you wherever you are. And man, I hear so many incredible stories. I hear so many incredible stories of people that are living on mission. They don't have a title, they don't have a degree, they just believe that God wants to use them. People that are reaching out to people, people that are doing ministry that are just amazing ministries, feeding the hungry, taking care of the poor, sharing their faith at work, you know reaching out to people who are or or people that have been cast away people prostitutes and and drug addicts and all kinds of different ministries reaching out to people I'm thinking to myself this is living on mission this is the church at its finest hour and when people are are, their hearts are frozen and where, where there's darkness all around and there's no summer there's no spring there are people that are on fire for God and they're bringing the light of the gospel to people and people's lives are changing one person at a time. It's a powerful thing to see that happen. But why did they give into fear? I want to suggest to you three reasons. Number one, they forgot who they were. They forgot that they were children of the most high God. They forgot that God had called the people of Israel. God made a promise. And listen, God's a promise keeping God. God made a promise to them. They forgot who they were. They were walking in insecurity. Insecurity will strangle the mission and vision of God for your life. So you need to be reminded of who you are today because once you start forgetting who you are, fear will grip your soul. Who are you? Who are you? If you are a child of God, if you're in covenant relationship with God, and if you're in Christ Jesus, then you are more than a conqueror then you are a child of the living God, that you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ and an heir of God and you've been called, and you've been chosen by God, you are special in the sight of God, and you are the apple of God's eye, and you need to keep on reminding yourself who you are. You need to remind yourself that greater is he that is in you than he that is in, in the world, and if God is for you, then no one can be against you, and that you are the head, and you're not the tail, and you need to look at yourself in the mirror every day, and you need to remind yourself that you're nobody without God, but you're everything with God. Come on, somebody say amen. That you are... Are. you are destined you're destined by God because he loves you and you're in Christ Jesus when Jesus died on the cross and he rose on the third day and he was seated at the right hand of the father and in glory and he sent down the Holy Spirit and when you entered into a covenant relationship with God when you entered into a covenant relationship with Jesus you became a joint heir with Jesus Christ you are heir of all of God's kingdom and you're a son and daughter of God and the next time the enemy comes to you and tells you that he's going to take you down you need to stare him down and say you can try your best but you can come to me with swords and javelins and lies and deceptions but I come to you in the name of the Lord my God I know who I am I know what God has done in my life I am a child of God I am the head and not the tell i'm blessed going in and i'm blessed going out and i know that god is going to finish the work that he began in me why because number two they forgot the promises of god that's why i want to encourage you i want to encourage everybody in this room that you need to read the word every 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 day you know i never stop reading the word you know when i go on vacation i don't stop reading the word you know why when I go on vacation, I don't stop praying. I needed to get up earlier in the morning. We were going to, I mean, listen, we went to Disney World from 9 in the morning. To nine the morning. I'm telling you, I was saying to myself, it's hard to have fun like this. It's a lot of work to have this much fun. But I'd get up early in the morning, stay up late at night praying. You know why? Because the devil doesn't go on vacation and my flesh doesn't go on vacation. Listen, the last time David went on vacation, he got in big trouble. And we need to fill our hearts and our minds constantly with God's word. We need to know who we are through God's word. And we need to remember the promises of God in God's word. Because every promise is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. They forgot the promise that God had made them. That they would be the head and not the tail. That God would finish the work. That God would use the nation of Israel as a light to all the nations. They forgot. They forgot the promises of God. Let me remind you of God's promises. God promises you that if he started a work in you, he will finish the work. Amen. How can we get stuck in fear when we know that it's God's problem how he's going to get us there? Praise the Lord. That God is the one who's going to finish. He started this work of grace in our life and he will complete the work of grace in our life. It's his job to get us to the finish line, but he will get you to the finish line. It may be hard. It may be scary. You may have to go through some tunnels, you may have to go through some fires, you may have to go through some valleys, but he's going to get you to the other side. Why? Because he promised that he'd finish the work that he began in you. He promises you and he promises me that he will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. That I don't know how, I don't know when, but God's going to provide everything that I need. He promised me that, I, that he'd give me peace. You know, I was thinking today as I was talking, I was thinking about the God is series, And I'm going to do a series or a message on God is a promise keeper, that God, when he makes a promise, he keeps his promise. Yes, there are some conditions to every promise, but God, he keeps his end of the bargain. God, there's a couple of things that God cannot do. God cannot deny himself and God cannot lie. He's not a man that he should lie. That's what the Bible says. So God doesn't lie. When he says something, he means it. How long is it going to take? That's up to God. But God promises you that He'll finish the work He started. He will provide all of your needs. He will give you peace that passes all understanding. And He'll take you to a place that you can never, ever imagine because eye not seen nor is ear, ears heard nor is that entered into the heart of man what God is preparing for those who love Him. And thirdly, they had forgotten who Goliath was not. They forgot that Goliath was not God. See, your problems are not God. You see, when you say your problems are so big, you're making your problems a God in your life. And see, that's, that's why we, we freak out. That's why we, we, we freeze in fear. Because what we're doing is, what we're saying is, is that Goliath is God. My problem is God. Because you see, when we get frozen in fear, when we get frozen in anxiety, when we get frozen in discouragement, what we're saying is that that thing in my life is greater than God's ability to overcome that giant in our life. That's why David was filled with faith and not frozen in fear because he saw the God that was bigger than than Goliath. Yeah, Goliath was really big, but God was bigger. Goliath is not God in your life. I want you to say that with me. Goliath is not my God. My giant problems are not my God. So how do we deal with fear as we land this plane? I just want to give you a couple of steps or keys to deal with fear real quick. I want you to write these down and I want the worship team to come so that you can know that I'm gonna get ready to close, all right? It'll make you feel better. Refuse to live in fear. Some of us, we settle down and we actually accept fear in our life as a part of who we are. But we have to refuse to live in fear. God said over and over and over. Notice God said to Joshua. Notice God said to Moses. God said to the people of God over and over again. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Know what God was issuing? A command. He's not saying to you, you have an option. This is not optional for you to live in fear. He is saying, do not fear. He's commanding you, do not allow fear to grip your heart. Now, we're all going to feel fear. We're all going to experience fear in our life, but what he's saying is don't live with fear. Don't accept fear. Don't say, you know, that's just the way I am. I'm an anxious person. Don't speak that nonsense over your life. No, you're more than a conqueror through Christ who gives you strength. Well, I was born that's why I have a propensity to be fearful and anxious. no, 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 no. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus, and you don't have to live with the fear. Don't accept the fear. I want you to say with me, I will not accept fear in my life. Number two, the more you seek God, the more you'll be free from fear. David said, I sought the Lord and he delivered me from fear. That's powerful. I want you to memorize Psalms 27. I love it. I've been memorizing it, it's been speaking to my soul. You've heard me quote it before, but man, it's just so powerful. The Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear the Lord is the stronghold of my life of whom shall I be afraid when the wicked advance against me to destroy me it is my enemies and my foe that will be devoured or destroyed when even when an army besiege me my heart will not fear even though war break out against me, I still will not be afraid. One thing I seek, one thing I ask, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Then on the day of my trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. Wow. Do you know why we give into fear? Because we're not in prayer. Because number three, prayer is the gateway to freedom from fear. You now Paul the Apostle says that we're not to allow our hearts to be anxious, but with what? With prayer and petition and supplication. What is supplication? Please, God! Cry out to God. Tell him how you feel. With prayer, petition, supplication, and thanksgiving, make your request known. Bring it to God. I know we want to bring it to the pastor. Bring it to the master. I know we want to bring it to somebody else, but bring it to Jesus first. Lay it at his feet and seek the presence of the Lord. Do not be anxious, but with prayer and petition and so with thanksgiving. When I I begin to thank God for the things I already have, fear has to go. Why? Because I'm reminded of all the great things that God, listen, you need to remind yourself how faithful God has already been to you. You need to start thanking God for what God has already done in your life. You need to make a list and thank God thank God it'll dispel fear in your life and then the Bible tells us that we're to learn how to take every thought captive before it turns into full-blown fear second Corinthians 10 reminds us the weapons of our warfare our warfare are able to bring every thought into captivity and obedience to Christ instead of allowing fear to reign in our minds listen what it says Philippians chapter 4 it says, focus our mind on what is true, what is noble, what is pure, what is lovely, and what is of a good report. I want to challenge you to find people. That's why I think it's so critically important to be a part of a one group. Every one of you in this room should be a part of a one group. You should hang around people that are people of good report. Listen to me. If you hang around people that are always trying to give you a bad report, they always want to try to give you the bad news, get away from them. It's hard to soar like an eagle when you hang around turkeys. Get away, man. And hang around people that will give you a good report, that will fill your heart with faith, that will give you a good report. Shut off the TV, man. Shut off the news. Get on your face before God. And let God change your perspective. He will keep you in perfect peace if you learn how to keep your mind stayed on him. Remember, fear is not from God. Everybody say with me, fear is not from God. Thank you. That was good. That was good. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 reminds us, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power love and of a sound mind he's given us the holy spirit you don't have the spirit fear is like a spirit you have not received the spirit of fear but of power of love and of a sound mind and lastly and start playing here it comes here comes the anointing feel it i feel it Woo! ground yourself in the love of god one of the most powerful things you can do is ground yourself in God's love. How did Paul deal with everything that he had to deal and face in his life? I mean, let me tell you something. We think that Paul the apostle was the spiritual giant who never had to face fear in his life, who never had to face anxiety, who never got depressed. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says Paul the apostle admitted that he got to the point in his life that he despaired life. It, it's very, very life itself, he said. I despaired it. that I I just wanted it to be over. He says, and I had fears on the inside and I had fears from without. But how did Paul overcome his fears? Here's what the Bible says. Paul was convinced of the love of God and he finds in Romans chapter eight, the secret, the overwhelming secret to overcoming fear in his life and in our life. He said, what shall separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus? He said, there's no tribulation. He said, neither death nor height nor any other creature will be able to separate me from the love of God. When your life is rooted and grounded, look at me, when your life is rooted and grounded in God's unconditional love, then you can walk in faith and not fear. Because the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. There is no fear in love and perfect love casts out all fear. So what's the end of the story? The end of the story is that Anna is stricken in her heart with Elsa's fear. You see, your fear can affect somebody else's life. And Anna's about to die. And she finds out that Hans is not the hero of the movie, but Kristoff is. And, and Christoph, all Kristoff has to do is embrace Anna and give her a kiss. And her frozen heart will thaw out. She has a decision to make. Now, I want you to know, all of you have never watched the movie. You need to get a life. You did watch it, didn't you? You know what happened, right? And you need to watch this movie, right? And so at the end of the movie, she has a decision to make. Is she going to run to Kristoff and be saved? And is she going to prevent dying? Or is she going to run to Elsa? While now Hans wants to kill Elsa, he picks up the sword... Anna stands between Hans and Elsa and she gives her life for Elsa. Sounds a lot like the gospel. Only that's a fiction and a fairy tale. Let me tell you a true story. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did for you and I. That's why we celebrate communion because Jesus Christ stood in our way and he took our sin and he took our pain and he took our disease and he took our future condemnation and he took it all upon himself because he loved us behold what manner of love has the father bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God so while it's a cute story that we see in frozen the truth is let God unfreeze your heart by embracing the wonderful true story Of how Christ Jesus took upon himself your sins so that we might have eternal life. As the ushers.